And that first reading is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13, verses 10 to 21. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue ruler said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Then Jesus asked, What is the kingdom of God like? To what shall I compare it? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air perched in its branches. Again he asked, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Amen. going to bring you now the, uh, the second gospel reading from Luke chapter 13, verses 1 to 21. Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, Leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig round it and fertilise it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Jesus was always teaching using parables. He was a master storyteller. He wasn't like all the super-religious Pharisees who continually quoted from the Bible so they could sound important and like they knew what they were on about. People couldn't keep up with what the Pharisees told them to do. But Jesus didn't quote from Greek philosophy, from Socrates, Plato or anyone else. 
Instead, he quoted from common stories of everyday life, stuff that people could relate to. Jesus often did that by telling a story. And the thing to remember about these parables is that they were designed, well, they were, they were heard. They weren't read, they were heard. Uh, they had to be listened to and had to be understood instantly. And so in this passage, there are three such parables that we're going to quickly look at this morning. And the first parable is of the fruitless fig tree. It's drawing attention to the need for repentance, for a complete turnaround. The fig tree was often used and understood to be the symbol of the nation Israel. And so Jesus is using out, uh, using this parable to point out the utter failure of Israel to live up to the standards and expectations which God had held for it in the past. And not only is it pointing out Israel's fruitlessness, but also how close it came to destruction or being cut down. You see, the farmer who had this fig tree in the midst of his vineyard expected the tree to produce figs. He'd not found any for three years, and so he decided he was going to cut it down. Since it hadn't borne, uh, given any fruit so far, why would it in the future? So he ordered it to be cut down, but the vine dresser pleaded with him to give it another year. But the thing was that the tree was not only fruitless, but it used up valuable ground. I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? A farmer has the right to expect a return on his investment. And whilst this farmer is per- per- persuaded to wait another year to cut it down, the future of this tree was still limited. And this was a comparison between the tree and the nation Israel. It speaks of the sinfulness of Israel, God's people, and it points out the shortness of time and therefore the urgency to repent and to be saved. It also corrects an error in the way that people think. People wrongly thought that anyone who died prematurely did so because they were evil sinners and they were greater sinners than everybody else. God hadn't come to judge them early because of their greater evil. In fact, the parable of the farmer and the fruitless fig tree speaks rather of the patience and the long-suffering of God to the stubborn, rebellious sin of Israel. This extended time, this delay in judgment, allowed time for God's people to have another chance to repent. And the the perspective of the people was entirely different to the perspective of God. And it's with this in mind that we should consider what happened next. We know that the culture of the day looked upon illness as a sign of God's judgment. And here we have a woman who's been bent over for 18 years. That's a long time in which she'd probably have lost all hope by now. Imagine how many things she might have tried to be better again. She'd probably given up trying by now. But Jesus saw her and he called her forward. She walked forward and Jesus said that she was set free from her infirmity and she was made straight. How exciting is that? But the religious leaders didn't respond to it well. Jesus had just interfered with their well-ordered routine and way of doing things. So they rebuked her and in so doing rebuked him too. We've thought about what the Pharisees are like before, so I want us to concentrate on the woman. Jesus saw her. Jesus called her forward. 
Jesus proclaimed that she was healed. And in the same way, he knows us, he sees us, and he calls us to him. None of our hurts or our hardships are hidden from him. Nothing we experience is kept from his knowledge. The woman couldn't straighten up herself. She'd undoubtedly tried whatever she could before that point. But Jesus could. Jesus could make a change in her life. And in the same way, I'm sure we all have things in our lives we can't change ourselves. We might have past hurt or pain from uh, people and circumstances, and there's nothing that we can do to change it. But Jesus can. We have a choice. We can choose to stay as we are, or we can choose to change. We have that option. The creator of the universe touched and healed this woman. He didn't come into the world for a political or social agenda, but he came to change people's lives. The kingdom is about changed lives. Jesus wasn't interested in the politics of the day. He wasn't interested in what people thought about him. He was just interested in people. And we have the same Jesus who wants to make us into the people we were meant to be. He invites us to turn. He invites us to come to him. Whatever we face, whatever problems we're up against. We have a God who sees all, who cares, who calls and who hears us when we call to him. So let's be open to him so the kingdom of God can come into our lives and make a difference to us personally. But in verse 18, Jesus goes on to speak more about the kingdom of God in two parables um, that I want us to focus on in more detail. Jesus said, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became like a tree and the birds perched in its branches. You see, Jesus lived his life with a perspective so very different to most of the people. He, um, his emphasis of his message was an invitation to view self and others and the world in the light of God's love, God's power and God's justice to view them differently to most people. And one of the things about Jesus was his ability to see how things appeared and see the possibility of how things might be. He viewed others not so much in terms of what they were, but in terms of who they could become because of God's power working in them. An ordinary fisherman became the rock on which he built his church. A dishonest tax collector would become a trusted friend and a disciple. Outsiders were invited to be leaders. The unclean were restored to fellowship. The hopeless the ill were made well again. An angry Pharisee who was a persecutor of the church became an apostle to the Gentiles. He made a massive difference in so many people's lives. People who heard and believed the good news of Jesus were given this new perspective because of God's love for them. Good things are possible, not because of our own efforts, but because of God. And when Jesus told his listeners that the kingdom of God was like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed on earth, which becomes the greatest of all shrubs, he's inviting us to look at the world with new eyes. He's saying that God is like a sower who scatters seeds, seeds you can hardly see. And when it's planted and grown, it even provides shelter for the birds. 
The initial evidence might be so small, but the ultimate results are massive. From something so small and so tiny, the smallest of seeds, something brilliant can grow. The winner of the Nobel Peace Prize, Mother Teresa, began her orphanage with that in mind. She told her superiors, I have three pennies and a dream from God to build an orphanage. A dream and three pennies represented resources as small as a mustard seed. Mother Teresa, her superiors chided gently, you cannot build an orphanage with three pennies. With three pennies, you can't do anything. I know, she said, smiling, but with God and three pennies, I can do anything. The parable of the mustard seeds reminds us that God's beginnings might be small, but his results are massive. And if we believe that this is how God does things, then surely that would change our view of the world. We might not be so dismissive of those mustard seeds, of the small things anymore. We might not give up on ourselves. We might not give up on others or the church or even the world if we truly believe that from the smallest of things, God can bring great things. And the task of the church is to look for the signs of the kingdom, the signs of God at work, which may be no larger than a mustard seed or a tiny amount of yeast, to live with a new perspective and to offer that perspective in the name of God to people around us, people who might be disappointed in life, people who might be hurting. But let's also consider what yeast does. As the yeast begins to metabolise the sugars in the dough, it forms carbon dioxide that puffs into tiny little gas pockets throughout the dough, and theoretically it rises. But when it goes into the oven, it expands even more, and then you get a nice uh, aerated piece of bread um, rather than the type that's going to make. But as the bread rises, its size increases many times over. The tiny, tiny bits of yeast soon permeate the large volume of dough. Small beginnings and large endings. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're like me, it's easy sometimes to get discouraged. What you've worked so hard to do seems so small and insignificant, so futile, so hopeless, so tiny. The disciples may have felt that way about the kingdom of God. They worked alongside an itinerant carpenter preacher, speaking in villages in a Roman province. Not very impressive when you look at it from a bigger perspective. But within a single generation after his death and resurrection, uh, Christianity had spread over the Roman Empire and beyond. Just because the kingdom of God didn't seem very great yet, Jesus is saying in these parables that it doesn't mean it will stay small. The kingdom of God begins as small and insignificant, but grows to become large and powerful. Mustard seeds versus trees, tiny leaven lumps versus large bread loaves, fresh and ready for the oven. So what are you facing that's discouraging? What insurmountable mountain is in your way? Too often we're tempted to give up when we see the tiny struggling beginnings and think that that's all there will be. So Jesus' parables about the mustard seed and the tree, about the yeast and the door, are parables for us too. Jesus called each one of us to be his disciples. No matter what our lives are like, he's something important for us to do. 
Believe that and it will change how you think and how you live in the world. Believe that and you and the world might be different. Maybe you'll have a new enthusiasm or a new excitement for life. But we all need to live God's way and we all need to allow ourselves to be used by God. Even if all we have is a small amount of faith. Big things have small beginnings and so we shouldn't be discouraged by the things we do. Our acts of faith might be small, but God can use those things to bring about big change. But there's a little bit more to it than that. There's something else about the good old mustard seed that I haven't yet mentioned. The kingdom of God is far more reaching and far more powerful than we could ever imagine. But here's the thing. When Jesus told parables, when he often did... They weren't meant to just teach us or instruct us or edify. They were meant to overturn. They were meant to challenge the norms. They were meant to break down our assumptions. They were meant to frustrate their hearers. And ultimately, for those who really listened, they were meant to bring about change. So whilst the usual understanding of that parable is fine, we should perhaps consider a more risky option. What if... The key to understanding the part about the mustard seed was first to understand just what a peculiar seed the mustard seed is. You see, the thing about mustard seeds is that while some uh, varieties were used as spice and others were used medicinally, in general, they were considered to some extent to be quite dangerous. I bet you're wondering, how can a seed be dangerous? Well, it's because the wild mustard is incredibly hard to control. Once it's taken root on a whole planting area, it can take over. (laughs) That's why mustard would only occasionally be found in gardens in ancient worlds. It would more likely be found overtaking the whole of a hillside or an abandoned field somewhere. So to think of a common weed we see uh, kicking about, dandelions or whatever other weed we can think of, That's pretty much what Jesus is comparing the kingdom of God to, but actually it's more powerful than that. Something that gets everywhere, even though it's not wanted. But it's interesting, when we think about the bit about birds taking shelter in its branches, maybe that's meant to comfort us. Birds finding shelter from the elements, somewhere to rest up, so that they can do that in the mustard tree because it's so big. Or maybe, if we think about it, If we think about the less favourable reference to birds in the parable of the sower, for example, you know, eating the seed off the path, then maybe it suggests that once the mustard shrubs take root, all kinds of things happen, including things we might not want. But if we're really wanting the kingdom of God to come, if we're really wanting for everybody to live God's way, then we need to know that it's for anyone and everyone, whatever whoever they are and whatever they do. And when you look at it like that, this parable takes on a different meaning. When I was at uni, I had a lot of, let's say, boring-looking books to read, and some were quite dull. But there was one called The Historical Jesus, and history and all that kind of stuff never, ever has grabbed my attention. But in this book, uh, John Dominic Crossman puts it, the point, in other words is not just that the mustard plant starts as a proverbially small seed and grows into a shrub of three or four feet or even higher. It is that 
it tends to take over where it's not wanted. It tends to get out of control. And that it tends to attract birds within cultivated areas where they're not particularly desired. And that, said Jesus, was what the kingdom was like. Not like a mighty cedar of Lebanon, and not quite like a common weed. More like a pungent shrub with dangerous takeover properties. Something you'd want in only small, carefully controlled doses, if you could control it. And I think that's the point, isn't it? The kingdom Jesus proclaims isn't anything that we can control. And it's definitely not safe. That is, if you're happy with the way things are at the moment. But actually, the kingdom of God comes to overturn. It comes to take over. It comes to transform our lives and the lives of those around us and the kingdoms in this world. It comes to bring about the change that Jesus brought. As Christians, let's live lives that are totally taken over by God, totally and completely. That means not just the parts we're happy with, but the whole of our lives. And if you're not the kind of person who's satisfied with the way things are, with the injustice in this world and the stuff we see around us day by day, if you can imagine something more to life than that, then this message of huge things coming from the tiniest of seas should give us hope, but hope that brings us to action. And finally, there's a scene in the blockbuster film, The Hunger Games. I'm guessing that not many of us have actually seen that. I know I haven't because it looks quite scary. But (laughs) I don't do scary films. Um, But President Snow, who was a totalitarian um, ruler of the futuristic pattern, he's asked his chief games maker, the one charged with creating a spectacle as entertaining as it is barbaric, why they must have a winner. The answer, hope. He wants to give the oppressed people of Panem the hope that maybe, just maybe, the odds will be in favour that they may win the Hunger Games and escape their life of servitude. Hope, he explains, is the only thing more powerful than fear. A little hope, he goes on to say, is effective. A lot of hope is dangerous. And that's what Jesus offers us. A lot of hope. The dangerous hope that God's kingdom, God's way of doing things, is coming. Even though we can't control it. So what if you went out to work this week or wherever you find yourself with a mission to look for those places where you could see God at work? What, what if we went out to look for hope? The dangerous hope that changes lives in ways small and large. And what if we didn't just go out to look for those things, but we tried to aid and assist them however we could? What if each time we shared with someone just the difference following Jesus makes to our lives, each time we sowed the seed, as it were, what if we truly expected there to be fruit and didn't get discouraged if there was no obvious response straight away? What if we truly knew that it was our job to plant the seed and God's uh, job to make it grow? Then surely we would be open to sharing our faith more often, more confidently and more hopefully that God would indeed make it grow. Each tiny little way that we share something of the good news of Jesus through our words, through our actions, we should be hopeful that that seed is not wasted, that one day God will use our words and our deeds to speak to others of him.
Jesus taught us that the kingdom is not as it seems. It's tiny. It's individuals that have been changed. Seeds that have been sown are seemingly insignificant, but that tiny seed, well, it spreads and it grows. It started with Jesus and now it's individuals that help it grow. It's through repentance that we can enter the kingdom. And that is a big deal. It means changing direction completely. A real change that results in spiritual fruit. So let's be people who seek God's kingdom more than anything else. And let's be open to the change that that will create in our lives and in the world around us. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that from small things you can bring about big change. We thank you that whilst we might not always know what's going on, you always have things in control. Help us to be filled with your hope and your vision for your kingdom. Expand our seeing and our understanding. Help us to see the kingdom of God as Jesus sees it. And help us to be part of the work spreading the good news of Jesus. Amen.